Now for something completely different, the corporeal manifestation of white noise. Here's Brian Wilson. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and people of all sexes, especially those of you who have just given up voting for Lent, it's a time once again for something completely different. Don Williams is back with us. Don of Smithsonian conservator fame, savior of stuff, master retorer of wooden things, insightful commentator on the passing parade, and overseer of the largest known collection of suspenders east of Warner Brothers wardrobe division. <laughs> I strongly suspect you're sporting a pair even as we speak. Yeah, these ones are curly maple in pattern. So, <laughs> well, you know, I, I'd really like to take the time to explore your affinity for uh, for suspenders and where they originated. But just to uh, bolster my uh, slightly exaggerated commentary, there, just um, a spitball. How how many pair of suspenders could you estimate are currently available to your wardrobe closet? The last time I counted, it was forty seven. Don't, so my pants are staying up. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've done really well, too. Well, on that note, uh, just because my father was uh, in elastics uh, for quite a, quite a number of years, what is the duration of of the suspending aspect of uh, your average suspenders? How many how many miles, how many pants, how many wears can you get out of a good pair of suspenders? Or are they immortal? No, they're not immortal because the... Uh... The latex, you know, the lycra latex or similar makes them springy, does break down with exposure to uh, sunlight and oxygen. So, you know, I can get three, four, five years out of a pair of suspenders. More if if they're treasured and I keep them in the dark box where I keep my suspenders. But that's about it. Ah, <laughs> uh, the suspender box. It's uh, yeah. <clears throat> have to remember that. Well, you know, in uh, in recent pods here, I've uh, spoken with our uh, mutual friend and uh, writer Jim Bovard and uh, political pollster Fritz Wenzel and you, of course, about the uh, political scrum popularly known as midterm elections. Jim brought his best cynicism and insight game. Fritz covered most of the mechanics. So we're coming to you from, for your perspective, uh, just in general on a big picture basis. How would you, how would you summarize uh, what just happened? Well, um, it's, it's almost fortunate that we, uh, almost unfortunate that we don't have a whole day to talk it out. So we'll try to be a little concise. I mean, I saw the election, um, as uh, confirming and verifying what I, I think I already knew about uh, the population of this landmass where we live. And there are, there are all the more clearly two nations. Uh, if you remember back, oh, I don't know, 20 years ago when John Edwards was a senator and running for vice president, and he talked about the two Americas and... Um, Conservatives, you know, pretty roundly condemned him for that. But in fact, he was right. He didn't get the the constituency of the two Americas right. But there are two Americas uh, clearly in the electorate, and they have almost nothing in common. And um, one of them is pretty overtly pagan. Uh, it's lawless. It's committed primarily to the cozy comfort of convenience of uh, gestational genocide, nihilism, physical mutilation of confused minors. 
and the eradication of cultural norms that have evolved over several millennia. And maybe the other America at least espouses the need for us to live lives of propriety, even though that's a difficult task. And again, these are uh, to, to channel our illustrious vice president, these are vector diagrams that have not much of overlap in the circles. So that's sort of what I, what I looked at. I really did enjoy the conversations with Bovard and Wetzel. I especially liked Jim sort of uh, uh, pantomiming head scratching as he couldn't figure out what was going on. And Wetzel, actually, I laughed out loud a couple of times, which is not something you would expect from an interview with him. And I've, <laughs> I've been listening to you interview him for what twenty years now, and and he is uh, his information is solid gold, just solid gold. Although this was the first time I really had a pretty profound disagreement with him at one point. So, what point was that? Well, the point is when he talked about the convoluted voting schemes that are in place now, and he said that it was they were there done with the best of intentions. I I. Could not disagree more. I think I think the convoluted voting schemes we have now are purposeful, and their purpose is to destroy utility and confidence in the electoral process itself. I kind of took it uh, when he made that comment. Uh, Fritz isn't big into sarcasm or or irony. In fact, I I've gotten the sense that he's even less inclined to really speak his mind on some of these things if he isn't pressed real hard because you never can tell who's listening and obviously he doesn't want to put a shade on any aspect of how he conducts his business. However, uh, when he said the best of intentions, my immediate reaction was from a strategic standpoint that the uh, that all the skullduggery that was going on and has gone on and no doubt will continue to go on was primarily uh, for the benefit of the Victors, the bad guys, and so on. So it, uh, yeah, that was their their best intention was to gum up the works, muck up the races, cast aspersions, you know, produce a counterfeit ballot, whatever the hell it took to get them across the uh, the finish line. Maybe well, I'm wrong. In that case, it certainly uh, that interpretation certainly uh, withstands some scrutiny. So I, uh, I'll give I'll. Certainly give him grace on that. And as you know, I'm well known for grace. Yes, you are. <clears throat> and I, yeah, and, and, and I, you know, the next time I talk to him, it'll be what, two years from now, I'll make a note to <laughs> ask him, you know, if he remembers that comment. But uh, it's just as likely one way or the other. I just, my experience with him was just such that uh, uh, it, uh, it didn't occur to me that he might have really thought that uh, that the Democrat machine, the liberal machine, the Soros machine was all done with, you know, flowers and lace and tulips. Yeah, and, and, and when you did ask him a sort of a leading question, I'm paraphrasing, but I think I got the gist of it right. And you said, what in the world is with this electorate? Are they ignorant or stupid? And he said, well, yeah. <laughs> and, that, and that's where I, when I laughed out loud. Um, yeah, well, you know, it's, um, 
It's an interesting it's an interesting discussion. Uh, although I think that the ignorant, the stupid part is 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 uh, is pretty one sided. I don't. Uh, I mean, the one side just follows orders and don't even have to follow orders if someone else is manufacturing your signature for you on a half a dozen different ballots and uh, doing all the heavy lifting for you. Then you know your participation is. Uh, could really be more concentrated at demonstrations and and uh, burnings and you know things like that. But the yeah. um, the ignorant and stupid. The um, I've got some experience with that. I mean, I understand. My definition has always been: you're if you're stupid, you're just intellectually incapable of comprehension. It's just it's yeah. just not there. Like it's like me in trigonometry. I mean, it's just I'm stupid. I, I don't get it. I can't get it. I don't understand. There's there's all sorts of reasons why I don't get it. Uh, some of them are self-imposed, but I really don't think that I've got the natural ability, like as you do and other people do, to be able to comprehend things mathematical as if they were second nature. Ignorance, on the other hand, I've always interpreted as something that just was someone that was perfectly capable of all of that, but didn't have the information. I could understand trigonometry if somebody could just teach it to me. Yeah, but, but they've tried that, and it's been a failure. So, well, you know, perhaps the best way, to, the better way to put it would be um, that we each have our points of view. And when someone disagrees with that, at the very least, we can say, you know, we don't think you've reached the right conclusion. Um, you know, I I still maintain that the, the most profound secular book I've ever read was Thomas Sowell's Conflict of Visions. And he basically argues that the conclusions you reach about the things that you observe just depend on how you are hardwired. And there's not much that can be done to counter that. And, uh, uh, you know, I've read the book two or three times and I just I just bought it on audio so I can hear it some more while I'm working in the shop. But uh, people just see the world differently. And fortunately or unfortunately, we can see empirically the outcome of some of their visions becoming enacted. And for the most part, I'll, I'll roughly say that those who are vaguely on the uh, right side of the fence live under the um, misapprehension that was very frequently quoted by a very famous radio broadcaster who would say that, you know, deep in the heart of every human being is a yearning to be free. Uh, and to have liberty. Well, you know, I've lived all my life and have not seen any evidence of that. Because for the most part, we have a large enough cohort of the electorate that does not really want freedom because that's risky. What we want is safety and security and uninterrupted cable or internet service and um, the fulfillment of our own hedonistic um, desires, and that's that's a whole different thing than somebody yearning to be free. Well, let's pursue that for a minute, because if we if we use for a moment uh, my umbrella definition of ignorance, and that it's just a lack of information uh, with the uh, with the ability to comprehend what is presented, uh, inciting Soul's book, uh, which is one that I have not read, but if the ultimate or the general conclusion is we perceive things according to how we are hardwired. One that I did read was Vision of the Anointed, uh, 
Yeah. And yeah. Uh, in fact, he and I, I spoke with him about that a couple of times out in San Francisco when that when that book came out. And I uh, I was blown. I, I haven't read that many of Soul's books of the ones I have read. That one just really, really took me away. But the uh, the one thing I did not ask him about that and and you touch on with the quote from his other with this other book about what was the title of it again. Conflict of visions. Conflict of visions. Okay, I've got to write that down. Where does this come from? I mean, is is the contention or the allegation that we're born hardwired with a perception that will ultimately mature uh, along with us to a point where it fulfills its vision in in how we how we accept reality at a given point. Uh, or uh, can we say that the anointed, for example, uh, see themselves that way because of some some contributions made along the way? You know, helicopter parents, prep school, <laughs> too much money, indulgence. How exactly does that happen? Is it is it a course of nature, or is it a product of environment? For the most part, he does not explore that particular genesis. He simply says, "This is the way things are." Oh. You know, if you read or talked to him much, you know that he's really all about how is, how are things, not what, not necessarily why are things, but how are things. And, yes, and that's the way I wanted. I wanted him to talk to me like that. Uh, the, uh, the the piece that he wrote about his autistic son that was the first time we chatted. And yeah, uh, who yeah. am I to question? You know anything of that? I mean, just tell me how it is. Tell me what it is. Tell me how it works. Tell me how it's manifested, which he did, and it was uh, it was educational, entertaining, informative, everything else. But um, I think, you know, for, just speaking for myself, there's a uh, it's difficult to get an interview with Tom Soul. <laughs> yeah, I would think. I would think. Well, yeah. the point he's making in this one particular book is he was asking, why is it that I see nearly identical populations of uh, nearly identical populations in the in the larger population who espouses opposing points of view on a whole range of unconnected um, issues. And he comes to the conclusion that they just see the world differently. And there's almost nothing that can be done to overcome that. And you talk about ignorance or stupidity or whatever. A lot of times, as as he has um, alluded in any number of his books and and conversations is that you know that simply cannot be overcome. You, it, it's like uh, there's. I, I'm sure most of the audience here knows who Ben Shapiro is. Um, he's just you know an irritating um, podcaster <laughs> slash entrepreneur in my mind. But he's he's probably best known for the phrase, uh, "The facts don't care about your feelings." which is exactly 180 degrees out of phase of the reality. What it is, is your feelings don't care about the facts. Okay, but you could make a case, couldn't you, to say the facts don't care about the feelings. The yeah, facts yeah. are immutable, that they are, and screw it's your true. feelings. You know, but if your feelings can't get, you know, can't accommodate the facts, then, then that's you. It's more like, wouldn't it be more like, whose problem is it? Yeah, I think so. And, and I guess the issue is when it comes to... Um, uh, implementing citizenship and activism and whatever, the greatly motivating force is not facts. It is emotional commitment. Oh yeah, no, that's and that's... emotional. Those in in any in any competition or conflict, those who are most highly motivated 
which means most emotionally committed, almost always prevail. Well, that's unfortunately true. Um, I just wonder when you look at governance and the uh, and the chain of command or the ladder from A to B, you know, um, just a bill up on Capitol Hill, you know, that type of thing. The yeah. once you once you follow it through, then you can have you can have all the demonstrations and book burnings and bottle throwings in the world. But ultimately, when the vote is taken and you follow the process, you get to a point where. Well, sorry, <laughs> you know, you lost, and that's pretty much the end of it. But in the process to live through all that, you know, how much influence it has, well, who cares? You're getting off into the weeds on all that jazz. But I, um, well, that, I, it, that, it has been a it has been a question that I wanted to discuss with you in the in the in light of all of this. Sure, you know how how people can look at. I remember <laughs> remember a discussion I heard once uh, between two people of a particular religion who were discussing evolution. And the one said to the other that uh, the best argument he ever heard was uh, uh, so the, let's call him the believer, talking to the unbeliever who was uh, proposing evolution. He said, well, to believe in evolution is to look at the Superdome and say that at one time this magnificent structure was a Dixie cup. And I thought that was uh, was a great way of putting it. Uh, so you you approach the same thing with people on the basis of facts versus feelings, emotions versus versus logic, you know, all the rest of it. And, and that's there 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 you come in direct confrontation to the uh, to the reality of whether or not these these things can even be acceptable at any level, right? I, I missed your last your last phrase there. Was acceptable at any level. I mean, could it, I understand that if people are married, uh, putting it another way, if people are married to a particular conclusion, a particular perception of reality, you know, that old bit, perception is reality, but not actuality. So if you're at the reality stage um, and someone presents an alternative view or additional facts, which would be a lot better, you know, is it not possible that an objective person will be able to rise to the next level and say, well, that was my reality, but it's not actuality? Um, maybe. I mean, it gets to the it gets to the point is, you know, is there really an obje- an objective person? Um, but, uh, you know, that that gets into pretty deep weeds. And and, uh, you know, it's not something I'm ready to talk about today. But uh, <laughs> well, I agree with that. I was just kind of bring bring full circle back around to how people uh, were looking at essentially the same issues. Um, sure, and sure. and came to the same came to different conclusions. That what I came to was the fact they weren't looking at the same issues. They were looking at the same bias or prejudice or the echo or something that they could agree with. And all the young Gen Z girl women, you know, came out and voted for the Democrats because they wanted to punish the Supreme Court for their judgment on Roe v. Wade. Yeah, well, it's 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 pretty clear from the uh, post-election data that that uh, young women. Their highest priority is killing their unborn babies. I mean, that's that's a crude way of putting it, but that's what they were expressing. And you know, different people can can look at the election that we just had, and um, in keeping with the name of this uh, podcast, come up with completely different conclusions about what was going on. I mean, a lot of people see. That um, okay, it was sort of a 50-50 nation before, and it was a 50-50 nation now, give or take, obviously. Uh, so what people were wanting wanting to vote for is okay. Let's just hit the pause button. Let's just hit that simmer. 
And what I see is that the electorate was steadfastly saying, I'm not going to do anything to solve the problem I created. Because all of the all of the problems, in fact, in my mind, of, of public policy are the result of an indolent and indifferent uh, electorate. And to me, when I saw, again, this is my own normalcy bias, or my own preference bias, if you will, um, when, they, when they voted to continue the exact same trajectory, which I see as destructive, and the only conclusion I can reach based on my point of view and perspective is they have just voted to make civil conflict uh, and civil deterioration, civic deterioration, get worse and for the conflict to more than likely become dynamic. So this, that doesn't make me right. As I, as I once told a coworker where I was having this discussion, I said, uh, me believing in something does not make it right, and me disbelieving in something does not make that wrong. It just is, it is the mindset that we come from, and very often we fall prey uh, to the, the information we get, the data we get from the Fritz Wenzels of the world, and we, we read them according to our own preference. Uh, and that's why I think a lot of people were surprised across the political spectrum at, at the actual outcome. And I, it reminds me of a conversation I once had with my boss maybe 30 years ago. And I have my point of view, and he was uh, um, a, a leftist from Holland. And we were talking about the right path, wrong path uh, descriptor of a lot of polling. And I said, you know, if we were to be asked that question, this was back in the in the Clinton administration. I said, we would both say the country is on the wrong path. I would say that it's going too far to the left. And you would say it's not going nearly far enough to the left. So a lot of times, I think even the even the pollsters are asking unanswerable questions. And from that, trying to deduce a, a snapshot. And I'm not sure that I was. Well, as Fritz said, and other people have said, I've heard uh, the fellow from Trafalgar saying, you know, we just have to completely rethink what we're doing to characterize the electorate as a whole. Now, that's that's a very narrow point of view, but I, I see that that's entirely possible. And I think going forward, we may not be able to have any, any handle on what the polity wants in any way, shape or form. Well, I, I don't. I've, uh, I mean, I, I like Fritz personally. I admire him professionally, and he's the only person I know that I could go to and get anything close to a straight answer on any yeah, one of a number yeah. of you know embarrassing subjects. But the uh, great. Yeah. at the same token, uh, you know, he's he's in that business, and uh, that's not to say that he gets bruised or shaded or classified, you know, by association. But uh, as I've uh, railed for you know for a long time ever since uh, ever since uh, reading uh, uh, Polaganda that book that uh, actually Jim Bovard gave to me that uh, about how polls are done and so on this is going back at you know just prior to to Clinton when when, when we were all getting together down there in the yeah, Smithsonian yeah. that you know if you got a credit card you know and a mailing address and a telephone you can buy your own damn poll 
and you get to ask the questions you want to ask and you tell the answers you're looking for and what demographic you're going to skew and what geographical area you're going to skew so that you can pretty much get a poll that will that will uh, that will endorse or prevail or deny that the sun rises you yeah. know, if we, and so on so uh, and and everybody does it and everybody knows it it's just a matter to what degree you know the big firms and the big customers the, the NBCs and time and you know fox and all the rest of that do to uh, to get the results that they're looking for. So is it possible, even if even if a voter or even if the electorate was eagerly looking for an objective picture, it's just it's just not not going to happen. That's why they give the averages. Well, we throw out the it's like the way they used to do the Olympics. Yeah. You know, we take the high and low and throw out the East German judge and see the number we that's, come up with. That's sort of it. I don't know if you've ever been polled. I've been polled two or three times, and. These were these were not edifying experiences for me, because almost every question the answer was well maybe depending on the circumstances. <laughs> right, and that's they're not they're not asking for they're not asking for any analysis. They're just asking for impulse. Yeah, I was called a lot, but I was never uh, back in those days. I was still idealistic enough to be honest. And the first question was always, "Are you in the media?" Yeah. And say, well, yeah, click. <laughs> well, it's you know, it's and it's sort of like um, I've been on, I've been called for jury duty two or three times, and and at least two of them during the voir dire, which is French for jury tampering by the bench. Um, <laughs> the the judge asked, you know, if if the case goes to completion, I'll be giving you instructions. Is there anyone here who would not follow my instructions? My hand goes up. Because uh, I went up there and says, you know, Your Honor, I'd, I'd be, I'd be delighted to entertain your your recommendations, but you know, I'm a member of the jury and I trump you, so I, that gets me kicked off the jury. I was going to say, and the judge says, "Nice talking to you." See you yeah, later. And, and when you can hear both the prosecuting and defense attorney scratching your name off the list very loudly, <laughs> I guess you hit the sweet spot. Well, that uh, that whole jury nullification thing is something I've, I've always enjoyed. Unfortunately, I've never, I've pretty much for the same reason I've never gotten, uh, never gotten on the on the jury. But I've always wanted to say, hey, I believe in the death penalty for double parking, and see if uh, <laughs> see if that would well, get me in. You thing. know, there's there's times when I could uh, support that point of view. <laughs> well, especially if you ever worked in in San Francisco, that was out to drive downtown. That was. No, enough of that. Uh, but as long as we're on that subject, that kind of sort of what? Is, let's talk about the voting integrity versus voting at all. Yeah, uh, is uh, based on as as more and more of these stories. I mean, the the last presidential election was certainly uh, tore the scab off big time, and now this time around with all the shenanigans in Pennsylvania and um, and and Arizona and Utah, all the rest of that. Uh, yeah. Do you think that likely voters will become unlikely voters and stay home, or is it just a lot easier for Democrats to continue to jack wagon the process and and the, they'll always wind up winning? Well, I I, I would say yes. Um, if you let me back up just a second. In the last time we talked, I said um, some. I said a remark about how the Constitution wasn't worth the paper it was written on. Right. Um, and it does not mean I don't believe in the ideals of the Constitution. I just know that as it is applied in practice, no, there's nobody in the system who believes it, except for Clarence Thomas and Samuel Alito. So, you know, what I think about it is is relatively um, is is irrelevant. 
Now, when it comes especially to federal elections, the Constitution doesn't say much, but it doesn't say nothing. It basically says that the elections are the are the jurisdictions of state legislatures, not state courts, not state governors, not federal courts, not the Department of Justice. They are the jurisdictions of state legislatures. Now, once we had this um, cancer of uh, election festivals lasting for three, two and three months, that by itself indicates to me that nobody wants to follow constitutional guidelines for elections. Because the other thing that the elections are clear, or the Constitution is clear about, elections take place on the first Tuesday after the first Monday of November, period. And when they don't do that, you get widespread discontent, suspicion, lack of confidence in, in, um, in the whole electo- elective and election process. And it's, it's pretty hard to see how the current status quo is going to persuade more people to take place, take, to participate in it, especially once these you know, utterly fraudulent ballot harvesting processes come in place because one party can can exploit that to victory other time, 100% of the time, and the other party, even if they knew how to exploit it, couldn't because their populations are different and less dense. You know, if you're if you're canvassing and harvesting votes in a high rise in a big city, that's one thing. If you're out in my, my county, where you know the average distance between the farms is a mile, you are not going to have a lot of success in ballot harvesting. So, you know, and and I I continue to vote as a as a civic ritual, but I have no expectation that has any meaning beyond that civic ritual. Well, I did have that conversation or touched on that conversation recently online with someone decrying the the, the, the futility of national elections with all the uh, hanky-panky that goes on behind the scenes. But on a local level, you do have school boards and school levies and taxes sure. and things along that order where you can uh, you, act, you could make a difference or at least go down and pound on the podium. And, and, uh, and that, that was fun. actually one of the headlines from last Tuesday that didn't didn't get much play was that there was very, very vigorous um, campaigns for school boards and uh, sanity seem to win out. And I, I don't know if I, if I mentioned you, but I know that for at least 20, 25 years, I've been predicting that school boards would be a real flashpoint in terms of um, community politics. Um, so. Well, uh, I, and I think we're seeing that, but, but what I'm, questioning in as I look at as we look at the same picture the thing that bothers me uh, I think the operative term now is weaponized yeah. you know weaponized this that and the other thing and you have uh judges and uh and, and legislatures and so you know, uh, passing these laws and rendering these judgments that you can't do this and you can't do that and that's illegal and that's immoral and that's fattening and, and all the rest of that and they do it anyway it's like yeah. that commercial for Office Depot with the with the with that little button. You know, they just you know that's easy. They push the button, and I I renamed it the ignore button because they just ignore it. They just say you know, Biden knew that this uh, loan for student loan forgiveness thing was as, as illegal as hell. He did it anyway. Yeah, 
Yeah, you know, I, rolling the dice, I suspect, on the ignorance of the voters and the fact that everybody wants free stuff, especially that age most impacted. So he goes ahead and said it. Everybody buys into it. I'm going to vote for him. And then all of a sudden it gets tossed. Um, I agree. And let me let me ask you, you got, you got time to take a real quick quiz? <laughs> yeah, I can splice it out later. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Um, I call this the Gramscian Fulfillment Quiz. All right. Okay, there are there are a number of institutions that inform the electorate and create its attitudes. I'm okay. going to ask you just in one word, if you can, which side owns these institutions, the left or the right? Left. Elementary and secondary schools. Left. Higher education. Left. News media. Left. Entertainment and popular culture. That'd be left. Social media. Left indeed. Corporate boardrooms. Oh, left, sure. Administrative state bureaucracy. Administrative state bureaucracy, left. Yeah, well, sure. Uh, yeah. Courts, courts in the justice system. Mm, yeah, pretty yeah, much. Left. Okay, so are there any institutions that communicate cultural values other than the family that I mentioned? Well, no. And if you have all of the vehicles for forming citizenship owned by the left, you are not going to have a happy outcome. It doesn't matter what your process is, because you have a a debauched public. It, it, you know, it's just it's just corrupted. So, you know, moving beyond that, I I don't care whether you know. I think ballot harvesting is a big. I think that endemic electoral corruption is a problem. But the bigger problem is we have a population that doesn't deserve self-governance because it can't handle it. Well, that uh, I wouldn't argue that point. I, I think that, I mean, that whole business of self-governance has always been kind of a bugaboo with me anyway. If we're going to, if America is supposed to be this giant experiment in self-governance, why do we have a government? Yeah, that's true. Uh, if, if the, if, if the, the angels, uh, we wouldn't need government. Yeah. Yeah. If uh, it's like a uh, Rand, you know, the smallest uh, minority is an, is the individual. Okay. Uh, who's the boss of me? Me. Who owns me? Me. I don't need 535 morons and child molesters and drunks in Washington telling me, uh, you know, how long my shoelaces have to be or whether or not I can drink raw milk. Yeah, that's true. It's the same thing with democracy. I mean, those those things, everybody just kind of passes on them. They become part of the parlance, but it just bugs the hell out of me to sit there and say, well, yeah, it's an attack against our democracy. God, I hope so. Well, you know, the the deep state, regardless of its... Of its uh designation of Republican or Democrat can count on the fact that the public is is either incapable of seriously considering these ideas or unwilling to consider uh, the the deeper ideas and um, well let me jump in on that because uh, I want I, I wanted to ask you about that I don't disagree with it but it gets back to kind of sort of the, the difference between stupidity and ignorance would the population or Put another way, would a larger segment of the population be more inclined to be exercised about what's going on if they got the information? Why don't they have the information? Because the media doesn't provide them the information. That, that's that's always been my contention anyway. We tape ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox, and CNN, and catch the opening, you know, the, the A block of each one, you know, every and, and the difference 
between the stories, the emphasis, the vocabulary, and everything between the the, the broadcast networks and CNN and Fox, which is not to say that Fox is all glorious and wonderful and uh, and without sin, Thank but you. the but the difference is 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 astounding. What doesn't well, get reported, and you don't know what you don't know. So how can I be upset about what's going on over here if nobody told me about it? Because I'm watching David Hans Muir wave around and talk his head and all the rest of it. Yeah. Well, there is there is such a thing called rational ignorance that um, <laughs> yeah. that uh, has a, has a good founding. But but when you when you say that, that you know the media doesn't provide the information, I would say on one hand yes, but on the other hand. What is it that that makes you and me um, have have a psychopathology just to dig into this stuff, uh, you know, almost endlessly? Is it just because we find it to be an entertaining source of activity for our time, or or what is it? Too cold to go fishing. <laughs> well, that could be, but you know, I've I've been um, politically engaged. Uh, since since about the Goldwater election, so uh, we're going we're going a ways back, and uh, the 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 good or bad of of a republic, regardless of its um, mechanism for choosing its its governors, is that it requires an engaged and informed population. And if the population is unwilling to be engaged and informed, well, you know, it's kind of like your teeth. You ignore them and they're going to go away. That is correct, sir. And it's uh, uh, very parallel to what Adam said about the Constitution. It was written for a, you know an honest and righteous population. A moral and righteous people, yeah. And we and ain't got them. We don't, we don't have it. And so what we are seeing with the continued uh, degradation of of the culture, both politically and socially, is a perfectly rational outcome. It, it is not yes. really even something to beat our breast about, other than we'll change what we can change. Yeah, and uh, and that's going to be on a pretty uh, small and local level, plus within our own our own households. Yeah, and yeah. all we can hope is that uh, it catches fire and and it spontaneously erupts in the hearts of uh, millions of people. Well, I always like that quote too, but I, I want to say that you know, setting five brush fires in the minds of men required dry tinder. <laughs> well, that's true. There's uh, so here's the idea. We're back back to the media and the proclivities of mankind and so on. Well, uh, I'm glad to know there's at least uh, uh, two people on the planet that uh, have a, a, a rational conclusion that that fits into the into the scenario, and whether or not that'll be adopted by the rest of our fellow citizens remains to be seen but uh, I well, share your uh, I share your your views on the uh, near to mid future it, it, it may be rational but it's certainly not unbiased I, I have no pretension of unbi being unbiased I have, oh. I have a point of view about how the world works and uh, you know pretty much everything is is interpreted through that filter. Well, it's kind of like that meme that makes the rounds every once in a while. You know, this is the way I see it. Prove me wrong. Yeah, yeah. I'm willing to be wrong. I don't have any uh, any ego purchase in any of this. This is the this is the way the numbers add up. Getting back to the mathematical analogy: two plus two plus two, two four. Seven. Okay, I got six. What do you got? Yeah. You, know, you got five and a half. 
<laughs> I, I, if if you ask my wife, you'd probably learn that I have plenty of ego wrapped up in my ideas, but um, it uh, it doesn't mean I can't change my mind with with evidence that's uh, uncontrovertible. So, yeah. Well, and I think that's a, that's a, a personal quality. It was kind of foisted on me. Is that you know you you're pretty much forced to you know forced to apologize when what you've been spouting has been dead wrong in front of a, a two three million people. You know, the, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hold, hold you to it. But uh, well, this has been a great conversation. And uh, you're right; it's unfortunate we don't have a day or two to get into it. But that doesn't mean we can't uh, we can't reconvene here at a not too distant date and. Sure. Uh, Pick sure. up any one of the number of threads here that are still lying on the floor. Yeah, it's 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 always fun to uh, engage with people who are who are who are joining me in being half a bubble off plum. You know. <laughs> yes, and, and notice your occupational preferences. I can certainly appreciate that comparison. That is. You true. bet. Well, I hope everything is going well up in the barn. Give my regards to your bride and the kitties and, uh, and the grandkitties and the in-law kitties, and we'll uh, I look forward to having a chance to rub brains with you again in the near future. Back at you. Thanks, Don. Take care. Don Williams. Uh, and when you go up to uh, listen to this podcast oh, again and again and again, make sure to catch the first one uh, that we did, kind of put them together, and uh, you'll, have, uh, you'll have a good time. I know I will. And uh, that's going to about wrap it up here, sports fans, uh, for uh, for this engagement. Make sure to call your neighbors and tell your friends that uh, there's some interesting things going on up here. For our studio engineer, and still, still the overhand bowling champ on the East Coast, Joe Ted, uh, says, um, time to get out of here. We'll be back uh, once again like a cheap Frisbee. Make sure to go by the website. That's uh, brianwilson.net. Go to the Facebook page. Do something mildly naughty over there. I want to see if Zuckerberg's fired my monitors yet and uh, leave some lascivious little comment and see what happens. All right. So until we get back together with uh, something completely different, Joe's going to pull the plug.